In our industry, there are few things more beautiful than a perfect pairing. Yelp Guest Manager has officially integrated with Reserve with Google, creating the largest consumer network in the U.S. Leverage Yelp Guest Manager to offer reservations, next-gen waitlist, and take out to 64 million more consumers than OpenTable. To supercharge your restaurant's marketing and operations, visit restaurants.yelp.com today. Comscore Media Metrics, based on Yelp Guest Manager, Reserve with Google, and OpenTable monthly average number of visitors in the U.S., 2022. Now here we go. We're thinking it from a customer experience standpoint, the ease of ordering, the importance of online ordering. Again, when we first started, we didn't even have online ordering. Now that's 30% of our sales. So as technology comes into play, that certainly changes the perspective of marketing, but also just those customer expectations. People expect to be able to have a pretty seamless customer experience and it to be easy and convenient. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Betsy Ham didn't set out to become the CEO of a 100-plus unit donut franchise. But when the moment arose for her to step up, she took the opportunity to go global. In our conversation today, we're discussing how a donut shop can grow from a thousand-person town to a thousand-location brand, and why marketing is a blade we must constantly sharpen. I initially started at Duck Donuts when they had about 20 locations in the United States. A friend of mine had said that they were looking to build out their marketing team here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is close to where I live. Prior to that, I was working for Hershey Entertainment Resort. So very large, very big corporate organization in marketing. So when I had the, took the call with the founder and CEO at the time, and he talked about this vision of taking this brand, that if people went to the Outer Banks, they knew it and they loved it. But for those who hadn't been to Outer Banks, there was literally no brand awareness. So as a marketing person, having that opportunity to come in and help reestablish and create and have a more sophisticated approach to their marketing and to their branding approach is really how I got involved with Duck Donuts. Not all of us, but many of us start out in this industry as bussers and barbacks. And then when we work our way up, it's simply because we found financing. Somebody was willing to give us the money that we need. Most of us don't have a traditional education in this industry. And you have an MBA. And I'm curious to know how higher education has served you in your role and throughout your career. That's such a loaded question because (laughs) I think there's a place for education, right? And when I was 23, 4, 5, I forget how I was, and I, I went to get my MBA, it was to prove it to myself and to really my coworkers. I think especially back then, a million years ago, marketing didn't always have the best reputation for being the most strategic or the most analytical or the ability to understand the financial piece of business. So that was really what drove me to do it. I can't say that I ended up where I am today because some, someone saw that on my resume and said, oh, you have an MBA, we should put you in this role. I do think the reality of the experience and the hard work and all that definitely plays more of an impact in most positions. You know, I know there's certainly some companies that require that table stakes for a lot of their roles and responsibilities, but any of my roles at Hershey or getting hired here, I think it's just a nice, oh, okay, she took the time and effort to get her MBA versus we should hire her because she has her MBA. And nothing you pulled away from it other than hard work and maybe accomplishing a really difficult task. 
I think that was the biggest part. I definitely was exposed to some classes that I didn't have as an undergrad. So I think understanding there's an entrepreneurship class, which at the time I was working for a big company, so didn't really have the understanding of why that would matter in my life. International business, which wasn't something I had as undergrad and sitting there at the time, never knew that I would be traveling 4,000, 5,000 miles around the country, around the globe, literally opening up Duck Donuts in other countries. So I think at the time there was exposure to things that I didn't even know that I needed exposure to that certainly have helped me in my career today. You know a lot about marketing and many in the industry don't. I would say that for independent restaurants, marketing is typically a struggle. And even at 20 locations, Duck Donuts had tons of room for improvement when it came to their marketing efforts. When you initially got into the organization, how would you describe their marketing and what was your vision for what it could evolve into? When I came into the organization, they had one and a half people in the marketing team, which no one had really any marketing experience that they were doing the best that they could with what they knew and the resources they had. And I had these friends who would go to the Outer Banks and talked about duck donuts and they were emphatic about a donut. And as someone who had not been to Outer Banks, I didn't understand why there was so much love and loyalty for this brand. So when I started here, it was really understanding the customer, like why do people love duck donuts so much? And it's great because it was an Outer Banks tradition, but now we're opening up throughout the country and have to say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we sell. This is what makes us different different. So it was really starting at the very bottom or the foundation, I guess you could say of is what is the brand and who are we targeting? What do they want to hear us talk about? What is that unique selling proposition? What kind of message do they want to hear? What kind of photos do they want to see? So it was creating that. And then the consistency piece, there were so many different photos and there was lots of illustrations of donuts because they never did a photo shoot and the logo would vary. There was multiple ducks. So it was just very, very inconsistent. So it was really just pulling everything back in and saying, all right, here's who we are and here's what we do and here's who we're targeting. And we know they love us because of our warm made to order donuts. So yeah, it was really starting at the foundation of identifying what we were trying to be and who was going to be our target customer. Is that why they love you? They're warm, made-to-order donuts? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, look, everybody loves a donut. Donuts and pizza hold this special place in everybody's heart. It's definitely a commodity product, right? And so what it comes down to is it's either a values-driven brand or it isn't, right? And people are identifying with the values as much as they're identifying with the product. When you got in in the early days and when you began to work to scale that awareness, what is it that people fell in love with aside from the product? It's the experience. So when you walk into a Duck Donuts location, there aren't any donuts sitting there. You have to walk up to the counter and you get to pick out your own donuts and customize them. So everything's a warm vanilla cake donut. So you could pick chocolate icing with rainbow sprinkles or one of our fan favorites is a maple bacon. So you order your donuts and then you get to watch the entire experience. So you see them being dropped in the fryer. You see them being brought over to the toppings tables and being coated and drizzled. And then you're handed a box of warm donuts. So that's really that experience. And we talk a lot and we reiterate with our franchisees all the time that we want to be known for a superior product that's delivered with an exceptional customer experience. Because I think it's both. You want that amazing product, but you want that experience to be memorable, whether someone was on vacation in the Outer Banks or they're picking one up in Huntington Beach, California. Let's talk about Huntington Beach, California. It is a far cry from Duck, North Carolina. Yes. The stats are that Duck, North Carolina has fewer than 800 full-time residents. And this massive thing that's grown to a hundred plus locations and is in multiple countries came out of duck. (laughs) What do you think the founders got right? 
I think what they got right, I mean, it goes back to that product and something that is different. And there's nobody on scale making made to order donuts. So of course, there's other donut concepts. And there's other mom and pop locations throughout the country that might have one, two shops. But doing made to order donuts on scale is really what has been that differentiator. The brand has a fun personality when we go through how do you explain duck donuts as a person? They're jester, they're fun, they're they're engaging. You know, we're part of people's celebrations. And I think that's something that's very different too. Catering and special events, holiday celebrations, we do well with like extremely well. So people want duck donuts for birthday parties, weddings. We do a ton of weddings, gender reveal parties, anniversaries, you name it. People celebrate with duck donuts. So the fact that there's just that love for the brand and obviously you're not having that unique experience when you're in the store, but that still can resonate with people when they're purchasing them for their wedding or for their parties, I think is huge. And I think it, it all happened very organically and very authentic. And when the founder started this whole venture years ago in the Outer Banks, it was just to have warm donuts on vacation. I mean, that was literally the reason why Duck Donuts started was to have that warm donut that you used to get on the boardwalk in New Jersey when he was growing up. So it's all just very genuine and authentic of how it started and what we try to certainly consider as we continue to grow. Let's talk about risk and entitlement and a sense of deserving. So it's not like you were earmarked for the CEO position. It's not like someone came down from on high and said, Betsy, <laughs> we want you to be our CEO. You threw your hat in the ring, right? And there was a big jump from your position as it stood to taking a CEO role. Talk to me about the thought process around that, because there was obviously risk involved in not only putting mm -hmm. your head in the ring, but also, God, what if they give it to you and you fall flat on your face and you already have a job <laughs> right. that you really like, right? You really like this job and you really like this company. And the last thing you want to do is take a role that you're not ready for and torpedo the whole thing. I'm sure you were having thousands of different conversations with yourself. Walk me through that <laughs> thought process. Yeah, I know. It, it is pretty wild. I mean, I always say if somebody would have told me eight years ago, I'd be the CEO of International Donut Franchise, I'd be like, that's crazy. I'm a marketing person. That's how I spent the first 15 years of my career. So making the jump to duck was sort of that one step of risk, but it just felt right. There was this really cool opportunity that most marketing people don't have the advantage to be part of, of really readjusting and growing and making a brand more sophisticated. So because we were so small when I started here, and even at my previous roles, I had the opportunity to be involved in operations or sales or whatever it was because the teams were so small. So had that ability to bring everyone together, work together, you know, trying to grow the brand. So as it was sort of growing, I just kept taking on more and more responsibility. And I had probably been here less than two years and Russ, the founder had come to me and he's like, Hey, I'm going to promote you. And I was like, Oh, okay. We didn't even have titles at this point. This is how small we are. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Am I going to have a title? What, what am I going to be? And he said, Well, I, I would like to promote you to COO to be over operations. And I had to remind him that usually they don't put marketing people in charge of operations. But, you know, he's like, Look, I think you, he had the vision to say, like, Look, you have that ability to pull people together. You're strategic. You work well with the ops team. This makes sense. So as I went through that, he was always very clear at some point he was going to take this as far as he could. And then he'd bring in, you know, private equity or whoever to continue the growth. So I just kind of kept going along doing my thing and not really sure when or how that was going to work out. So it was right before COVID hit in 2020 is when he said that, hey, it's time to start doing this due diligence process, start talking to different organizations. I want you to be part of this. That's when the wheels, I think, started spinning like, oh, okay, what does this mean for me? We're going to get swallowed up by some big group. They're going to bring in their very 
smart, strong. I did all that before CEO. And as we started going into the process, I was like, oh my gosh, we've made so much progress in the three, four years that I've been here. I really don't want to see somebody else come in and take this whole other direction. We had built this really great team. We were doing all the right things, just really at a great point from an emerging brand. So I think as we went through that and he said to me, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I don't want someone else to come in. (laughs) It was kind of like my defense to the whole thing. But when we sat with the private equity group, the one that we ultimately ended up going with, they sat there and said, look, we prefer to get behind founder-led organizations. That's just the way we're structured. And Russ is like, well, I don't plan on sticking around. And they said, well, what do you have a plan? How would this work? And he's like, oh, well, she can do it. That I think was sort of that like, oh crap moment when he like said it out loud that really made me stop and think like, am I really the best person? There's definitely somebody smarter who has done this before. But at the end of the day, I had during those several years built the credibility, the trust, the respect with Russ, who was willing to basically turn his company over into my hands to see if I can help continue to make it grow, but also with the franchisees and the team. And that was really a big piece of it. And especially during those COVID times when there was so much going on, you know, he let me sort of take the reins and lead things. And he was certainly there from a support standpoint. But that I think was his test that I didn't realize at the time, but was the test to see if I could handle that and the pressure, but just continue to focus on building the relationships. I'm a huge person that focuses on relationships. And as you know, this business and industry is all about relationships, but especially when you have a hundred plus franchisees who are relying on you to help them have the tools and resources to make their business successful. So it's definitely a lot of pressure from that perspective, but I think between the relationships and the trust is really how I got here. And so you start a new job. The company has new ownership. Private equity, even the best private equity firms, they apply pressure. That is the nature of the relationship. Sometimes kindly, sometimes not. (laughs) But there's always that pressure, right? Because they invested because they want a return on investment. There's an expected return there. So not only is it about making the company more successful. It's about making it more successful relative to these specific expectations. Duck Donuts had just opened its 100th location. And all of these things kind of come together serendipitously, maybe the right (laughs) word, maybe the wrong word as you're starting this role. (laughs) And so everybody loves a challenge, right? And everybody likes hard things because they make us stronger. Having said that, the first six months could not have been easy. (laughs) No, No, right. What did you learn about yourself? And what did you learn about the role in that first six months? I think the biggest thing I learned was the fact that you have to have the most amazing team around you because I'm never going to claim to be the expert in anything or all things. So as the pressure was coming in and more sophisticated, we have a hundred shops and you're right. All those things just happened at one time. And it was like, holy crap, we have to have our act together here. And the reality was, is that some of the talent or the roles that got us to a hundred shops wasn't going to get us to two, three, 400 shops. And that's hard. That's a hard conversation to be having. And of course, this is on top of the supply chain nightmare, the labor challenges. I mean, so everything was just kind of coming at us at the same time, but that just put the pressure on more to be like, all right, we have to have the right team. We got to re like take stop. Let's reevaluate the structure of the department and the roles and who's doing what and what people need to be in those seats essentially. So I think that's what I learned 
the most over the last or the first six months, essentially. And we did. We went through a lot of change. And as you know, change is very hard for franchisees. It's hard for the team. So it was trying to hold on and not lose all the positive momentum that we had to not go backwards from a culture standpoint with our team here at headquarters or with the franchisees. So there was a lot of moving pieces that needed to happen. So continuing to focus on that, but keeping that momentum to go forward. But yeah, I think it's just, it comes down to the team and anything that you do, you have to have the right people on your team and or the right partners that you're working with. If you're a much smaller restaurant and don't have a huge management team, you've got to have the right partners that you're working with. You listen to this show because you're looking for tools to improve your life and your business. And this tool is going to be a game changer for you and your team. Snibs are the world's most comfortable non-slip work shoe for folks like us who work on our feet eight plus hours a day. And they can stand up to the elements of a restaurant from water to flour. Trusted by over 100,000 hospitality workers, these shoes have over 1,000 five-star reviews. Best yet, Snibs is the brainchild of an award-winning chef and a world-class orthopedic surgeon named Dr. Snib. Yep, that's where the name comes from, creating the world's most comfortable work shoe. It looks great too. Head to snibs.co to experience the difference from first wear and use the promo code FULLCOMP to get 10% off your first pair. That's S-N-I-B-B-S dot C-O. And make sure you use the code FULLCOMP to get 10% off your first pair. And you leaned into your strengths. In those early days, you rebuilt the website, reformatted your social media presence, created seasonal promotions. And, you know, kind of like you said, things that got us to 100 locations aren't going to get us to 200 locations. Why wasn't all of that work done before you took the wheel, in your opinion? Because, <laughs> I mean, 100 locations, you would think the website should be okay, right? You know what? It was. But again, it kind of goes to where you were. Because when I started, there was a website. When there was 20 locations, they had a website. It was pretty bad. So that was one of the things we did was to launch a new website. I don't know, maybe it was a year after I was here until everything was said and done. So this was the next iteration. So, so much of that stuff had, had we had started here and maybe got it to a level, I don't know, four. And now we need to be at like a level eight. So it's just the deed of how great things were just continued to grow. I'm leading you in the conversation because this is the conversation I want to have. Marketing being an evolutionary process, I think the struggle for so many independents is that they work on our own website and then they forget that it exists, right? But everything has to be cleaned up. Everything has to get better. Everything has to be refined over time. Something that is perfect in 2010 does not work in 2015 because the conversation's changing. So when you looked at how to freshen up the website or freshen up the social media. What was your vision? What needed to be improved? I mean, we always try to look at it from a user experience standpoint. So what does the customer want to see? It's very hard to build your own donuts online. So we launched a loyalty program and an app in early 2020. It's still not where we want it to be because we're thinking it from a customer experience standpoint, the ease of ordering, the importance of online ordering. Again, when we first started, we didn't even have online ordering. Now that's 30% of our sales. So as technology comes into play, that certainly changes the perspective of marketing, but also just those customer expectations. People expect to be able to have a pretty seamless customer experience and it to be pretty and easy and convenient. So I think that's the other big piece of marketing, especially in this industry, is making those customer demands, whether it's kiosks and shops or curbside pickup. I mean, we've all evolved over the last few years to be able to hit all of those items that are important to the customer. 
I'm sure you have multiple marketing channels, but do you have multiple revenue channels for most franchisees? And I guess for the in-house locations as well. Where's the money coming from? Is it individual donuts? Is it large format catering and events? What does the business model look like? Yep, definitely both. So a lot of just, we'll call it walk-in traffic, people who come in, they order two dozen or order, you know, two donuts to a dozen or whatever it is. Online's about 30%. You can order through the app. And then catering special events is big. So those pre-orders of maybe they're ordering, you know, several dozen, or maybe it's just somebody stopping in and picking up two dozen on their way to the office. But that catering special events order is really key to our success. And let's talk about that. So with the large format, I looked at what you guys do and it's really interesting because you and I are very much aligned on people don't have imaginations, right? They need to see it uh, because they can't envision what it's going to look like, how it's going to be presented, what it's going to feel like. But you guys have done a very good job of making it easy for people to see what they're buying so that if they do need to kick the decision up the chain, which is the case, I think in many instances, it's really easy to do. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny, whether it's online or in shop, we run into the same thing. We talk about, hey, it's made to order. You can pick whatever you want. We have a duckzillion combinations and that's great. And people love that. But I was in our corporate shop last week. You stand there and we have assortment guides on the counter. I mean, nine out of 10 people are coming in. They're looking at the assortment guides of the donuts and they're picking out the donuts that are on the counter in front of them versus. So as much as we're, hey, anything you want, made to order, choose your toppings, people are picking what's in front of them because it's, it's easier. And I get that. I mean, I still do that and I work here. <laughs> so I want to talk about scaling culture, which I would assume is very difficult to do. How many units are you guys looking to open in 2023? So we'll open 45 units this year. And what's the strategy to ensure consistency in both product and culture? Yes. So it starts with training when a new franchise, well, actually, I should say it starts with franchisee selection, making sure we're getting the right franchisee out of the gates. They're small business owners, and our job is to give them all the tools and resources they need in order to succeed. But they're responsible for essentially growing their small business. But at the end of the day, that sign says Duck Donuts, and we want that experience to be the same no matter which city, state, country that they're in. So choosing the right franchisees, number one, and then two, it's training. So we have them come in. Actually, we have a group here this week. We call it Duck Donuts University. They go through a week of training. And then when they open, we're sending our training team there to help with the opening of the frontline employees of that training as well. So it comes down to making sure they're set up for success to begin with. But then it's that ongoing check-ins and relationship with our franchise business consultant. So that's our field team who's out on the road most of the year, sitting down and meeting with the franchisee. So a lot of it comes through that as well as, of course, we're monitoring social reviews if there's one. But if you start to sort of hear a trend or see a trend that certainly locations, maybe had several bad Google reviews lately, then we use that as a training opportunity. And we do mystery shops. So, you know, we pay for mystery shops to go in and then send us the report. So definitely as many checks and balances as we can, but it's hard. And of course, as you continue to expand, you just have to rely on the fact that those tools are going to be enough. Ensure that between hearing customer feedback and our team being out in the field, that we'll have a good pulse on that consistency because it's huge. And we certainly have had times or franchisees who weren't delivering on that consistent superior product or the experience. And you have to nip that right away. You know, you have to have those conversations of whether it's an issue with free training or maybe the franchisee's not engaged enough with their shop. It's having those conversations because that will certainly hurt their neighbors down the street or hurt the brand growth in the future. And I'm sure culture is a central focus because with the labor shortage, I am sure that your growth is hindered by a lack of available labor as much as the lack of available real estate, right? Sure. 
Absolutely. It's been interesting over the last year or so. Of course, everybody's had labor challenges, but our franchisees, who I would say are highly engaged, not necessarily making donuts every day, but in their shops, involved, know what's going on. They've had less issues with flavor. And it comes down to when you start having conversations, you're like, oh, it's because of their culture that they have in their shop where those team members feel like they're part of the family, which is one of our core values. So they've had less of an issue with the labor challenges as maybe someone who isn't as engaged. So trying to share those information or case studies almost with our other franchisees of, look, if you build this great culture, and again, we're going to give you core values. We talk about our mission and vision. We talk about how we sprinkle happiness. It's fun, right? It should be a fun job. We're selling donuts. How do you get that to your team members who then are getting that to our customers is really important. And of course, that's not always easy. And you've decided to grow internationally and pretty early in the process because there's no way you've hit market saturation in the U.S. What inspired the choice? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's a totally fair question. We went international probably way before we should have just a sophistication standpoint. And it didn't work. It was in Santiago, Chile. They ended up having a lot of social issues right after that. Then it was COVID. They closed. They didn't reopen. So a lot of quick lessons learned there. But the reality is the international started just the way the domestic started, where there was interest. So people come to the US, they have an experience, and then they want to take it back to their country. So everything there just becomes more elevated as importance. Ensuring we have the right franchise partner, that they have the right capital, and that they are able to scale quickly. So there's so much potential literally throughout the world. It's kind of overwhelming. So just trying to focus right now in the Middle East. We're open in Cairo, Egypt. We're opening in Pakistan, Iraq, and Qatar here before the end of the year. So focusing on that and then having, again, going back to building out the team and the resources to support that. So I think we definitely started early and we had a point last year. It was like, all right, we either need to buckle down and make international wildly successful or we need to walk away. And that's hard to have those conversations with the team, especially now with the international team. But after a lot of talk and, and discussing and how we could do better with it, everybody was on board and we're having a really good year this year since we really buckled down and are focused on that growth as well as making them more successful. You mentioned a couple of times choosing the right franchisee. Mm -hmm. I would assume there's a checklist. There's an avatar for who that human is. Describe that person to me. You know, it has to be somebody who is driven for success. And it has to be somebody who understands what it takes to run a small business. Because like I said, we'll give them all the tools and resources. We'll teach you how to make a donut. I mean, that's probably the easiest part, but you have to want to grow your business and you have to be able to handle a team. We have some people who have come in from, maybe they were, I don't know, an accountant. They always worked individually. They never had a team. They weren't working with other people. Well, of course, this is a customer service business. And not only are you dealing with customers, but now you're dealing with a bunch of 16-year-olds who are your team members who you have to make sure they show up to work every day. So somebody who has that personal understanding of relationships and the importance of customer experience is really key. So, I mean, that's it. Because like I said, we'll teach you everything else. But those who are focused on how do I sell more donuts? How do I grow my business? business, being involved in their local community. Again, it kind of goes back to that personality relationship standpoint where we can tell people how to do that, but they have to have that interest and that drive to go out there and boots on the ground trying to sell donuts. I want to talk about the blueprint for success because by and large, your franchisees are successful, very successful. And when I talk to some of the most successful independent restaurateurs I know, a lot of them have background in franchises. Either they were a sandwich artist at Subway or they spent a little time at In-N-Out and worked their way through management and upper level management there. And the reason they're successful is because they had a winning playbook. 
they were able to look at this blueprint for repeatable success and follow it. And then when they went in independent, they just followed a similar playbook, right, for their model. You've been with Duck Donuts long enough now that you've probably watched that playbook evolve over time from this is how you make a donut to this is how you do everything. Everything. Right? (laughs) Right. For those that would love to have a playbook or at the very least aspire to build one for their own concepts, it's a very overwhelming process. Mm -hmm. Where do you start? What are the most essential elements? Where were the holes in your playbook that when you filled, it created massive impact? I think it goes back to that operational consistency and establishing what are we selling? How are we selling it? What are our core products? And just being very clear and intentional on that. And again, making sure everyone's making the donuts the same. But then it also, once you kind of have that operations manual essentially established, I mean, then the next big piece of that really comes down to training because you could have all this in your head and that's really great. But then how are your team members actually delivering on that? So we spend a lot of time and effort on training resources for the team members. And again, we're talking a lot of 16, 17 year olds. So we're doing a lot more videos than we've ever done before. And they're all probably two minutes or less. It's got to be short format. You know, they have to be able to scan a QR code or whatever it is. So just ensuring that, again, we're giving them those tools that they know what the expectation is. And I think that's part of it, too. When I think back to the very early days of being here, we weren't really telling the shop managers or the team members what the expectations were. This is what Duck Donuts is, and this is what we expect you to deliver. And here's how you're going to do it and let us know how we can help you. So I think no matter how many employees you have is establishing what the expectation is and and what your experience needs to be, and then holding people accountable for that. What could people steal from you? There are a bunch of independent owners and operators listening, and they like it, right? They're like, I can make my own donuts. I want to open up Swan Donuts. Or they want to infuse your best practices into their business. What do you think translates? I think first is it goes back to the brand. And you asked why Duck Donuts, what about Duck Donuts or why do people like it? And it's because of this product and the experience. So once you have that, as would it, no matter what your restaurant or business is, it's talking to your customers and delivering on those promises that you're making if, and making sure your marketing and advertising matches the actual experience. Does the product look like it does when they come into the shop? Is the experience, like you say, it will be on your Instagram post or whatever it is. There can't be a disconnect between your marketing and what you're putting out there and the actual experience. You might get away with that for like a week or two. And I think customers quickly catch on that that's not what they saw. And that's not what drove them in shop. So I think that's really the big thing is making sure they're aligned and listening to customer feedback. I think that's really important. It's really easy to get tied up in what we want to do as owners or if you own your own restaurant. And you certainly need some of that, but you have to be listening to your customers and making changes based on what they're saying and what their expectations are. I would assume that your job at times is overwhelming. Never, no. (laughs) (laughs) And that it's probably hard to strike a healthy balance from time to time. What do you do for you? How do you honor your commitments to yourself and those you love while helming this massive company with this massive responsibility? I think part of it is trying to filter out the noise, right? 
everybody has an opinion and has feedback and especially franchisees, they always want to tell you what's not working or working too, certainly. So I think trying to shut that off at times is really important. But yeah, the whole balancing, that's not real. And I can't ever stop thinking about all the things like you wake up at 3am and you're like, oh my God, what if same store sales don't increase? Or what if this happens? There's a lot of that pressure. So I try to focus on the things that I can control and the things that I can influence. And after that, you just kind of have to shut down the noise or you'll never sleep (laughs) and you'll have to buy a lot of wine or whatever it is. It's definitely a balance of that. And and I like joke to like our private equity group. So I'm like, I feel like you guys should have to pay for my hair color because I have so much gray hair these last few years of doing this. It is constant. And because you do care, it is a lot. So yeah, I just try to focus on what I can control and influence. And, And again, it goes back to the team and try to disconnect. I mean, I have two teenage daughters, so they're really good at distracting me in life, but trying to balance all that and travel schedules and all of that. So yeah, you definitely have to take time for you or whether it's hanging out with your family, friends, whatever it is, but you definitely need that downtime to disconnect and try not to check your email for a little while. (laughs) Our industry is full of unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? There's been so much talk about the industry taking better care of their employees, which I hope I continue to see that happen now. And and I think there's been some good stuff that has come from COVID. The restaurant industry especially took a really big hit and people left. And now we have to really consider how we're treating our employees and how they're being paid and benefits and all that. So I think continuing to figure out how to take care of our team members is really huge. We're in a little bit of a different situation because they're all locally owned and operated LLCs, which so it's their employees. But considering how we treat each other in the industry, I think is really important. What I love about this industry is people are so willing to share information. So this was new to me. And I picked up the phone and talked to a lot of different marketing or now CEOs and everyone's willing to share and are so supportive. And, and I feel like everyone wants to see the others succeed, which is awesome. So I think continuing to to be supportive of each other is really huge. Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with guest manager in Yelp ads? They experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Betsy Ham. For more information on Duck Donuts, visit duckdonuts.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.